I honestly think there is one change that you can make for the rest of the year that will change your year. It will change your emotional health. It will change your outlook on the world. It will change your physical health. And it's not a diet. It's not exercise. It's not a rigorous Bible reading plan. It's not anything that I think will be hard to do. Well, it might be challenging, but it'll be so rewarding that you'll want to keep doing it. And that is finding a couple of good friends to study the Bible with and to be in community with. When we think of spiritual disciplines, we think about Bible reading, prayer, worship, going to church. And many of us feel like we should be doing more of all of those things, right? But our lives are full, uh, if not frantic, and there just isn't the capacity for it. However, the number one thing that we are experiencing and is that and is growing at epidemic rates is loneliness. And you cannot separate our need for community, our need for human interaction, our need for a hug, our need for someone to empathize and listen and understand when we've had a bad day, when we've gotten bad news, when we're struggling, or when we're having a great day, when we got great news, when we got a promotion at work and we just have to share. We need people around us. We are built for community. The church is called a body. <laughs> like a body is not supposed to live in separate pieces all over the world. <laughs> we are supposed to be one. We are supposed to hurt when other parts of the body hurt. We are supposed to rejoice when other parts of the, <laughs> the body rejoice. And there's just so many things that we'll cover today uh, physiologically that help us when we're in community together, but specifically spiritually. Again, many, many, many of us feel like we should be reading our Bible more. I would venture almost all of us. I, I think there's a few that have found a good rhythm and are really disciplined and have a great habit. But for most of us, we want to understand God's word. We want to read our Bible, but we just don't find time. We just don't understand what we're reading. And it we don't have that rich relationship with the word like we desire. So I'm actually going to share a few excerpts from this book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. It's one of my absolute favorites. It's very readable and accessible, um, but it gives fantastic background information on Jesus, his Jewish upbringing, what it meant for him to come in the tradition of a rabbi. And you'll see that influence throughout all of the ways that he conducts himself and interacts with his disciples. You'll see a few departments departures from the tradition as well. But I want to dig into, this is chapter five. It's called Get Yourself Some Haverim. Do you know what Haverim is? <laughs> I didn't either. But it places a really strong emphasis on studying the Bible together. And so starting out, it talks about what would happen if you were to go into like a Jewish seminary where they are studying either to be teachers of the religious tradition or rabbis. And if you walked into a Jewish study hall, you might expect to find, what would you find in a regular university library? Kids studying quietly, right? But rather what you would see is 
young people standing up at podiums facing each other or maybe huddled in a corner debating and having lively conversation about the scriptures, their understanding of it. Also, there's this concept among the rabbis of stringing together pearls, which meant if a word or a concept was found in one place of the Bible, you could then string it together with where it's found in another portion of the Bible and then use those two verses together to arrive at truth. And so you would find debate, you would find stringing together of scriptures, and you would find this friendly banter that's actually helping them, both of them, to learn and grow and engage in the word in new ways. Another thing that you would notice is when they're opening up the word, when they're reading from the Old Testament, they're reading about their people. They'll talk about Abraham, Isaac, David, the Israelites as our ancestors, our family. And that rich understanding as the, of the Bible as family history helps to place them in the story. You know, sometimes we can feel so critical, for example, of the Israelites whining in the desert. You know, we know now looking back that the Lord was with them the whole time. He was providing for them. But we can distance ourselves from the story when we look at that, like, why are you guys whining? Like you have everything that you need rather than seeing ourselves there with them. Just a few generations removed. We were in the desert. We were a people that were confused, worried, unsure of the future. And then we can see ourselves in that story today. How many of us today feel worried, confused, fearful about the future. And of course, we have the benefit of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. I mean, we live in an entirely different dispensation and have so many more reasons to be filled with hope and courage. And so there's a beautiful way that they also approach the scriptures and seeing themselves right there in their family. But going back to have companions to reading uh, and studying scripture with, there was a saying of the Jewish rabbis, and it was this. It said, Acquire for yourself a rabbi, which we could essentially liken to a pastor, but a rabbi was someone who really took great care in discipling and raising people up in the ways of the Jewish tradition, and then also their own specific ways for walking out their faith. Acquire for yourself a rabbi and get yourself a haver. And so a haver is essentially a friend or a companion that you study the Bible with. And the picture is someone who's willing to partner with you in grappling with scripture and with the rabbinic texts. And so we actually see a very close version of this in Jesus's own teachings. Because consider the words. These were words from the early rabbis. It said, when two sit together and exchange words of Torah, then the divine presence dwells among them. Now, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Now, we, of course, have the benefit of relationship with Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus was with God. He was God. He was the word when God created. And so I think Jesus is giving us an even richer understanding of what happens when we come together. Not only are we engaging with scriptures and therefore the word, but also with him as a living, uh, breathing part of our daily life as our savior and friend and brother. And so 
Jesus said, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. So what's the key part of the phrase? Where two or three come together. Now, a really interesting thing happens when we come together physiologically hormones are released. You may have noticed this if you've ever been to a birthday party or a, a lunch date or just a time with your friends or your neighbors. Afterwards, do you feel a little bit energized? Basically, when we're with physically in presence of other people, feel good hormones are released. All of our feel good ones like oxytocin, dopamine. And so we get that little bit of like a buzz or a happy feeling. And what those hormones actually do, they help to relax us. They help us to build trust with other people and they help us to want those connections more. And so we are designed to be in close proximity with others because it not only helps us to feel good, it also helps our feelings of safety and security. And so again, I think it's so fascinating when science backs up what the Bible and what God has already told us and how he created us. We are meant to be a body and we are meant to be together in physical proximity. Uh, this past Christmas, uh, we, our whole family ended up sick. You know, we still have little kids and we had a flu bug come through. It was just like a stomach virus, but it would not go away. And like the kids would get better and then the fever would come back and the kids would get better. I would get better. I got sick too. And then, you know, my stomach would be upset. And we spent the whole week before Christmas going in this up and down cycle. We were praying, we were sanitizing, <laughs> we were doing everything we knew to do. But even by the time Christmas came around, we were still sick. Well, it happens that we share our nanny and our childcare with my husband's sister and her little ones. So they actually ended up with the same virus as well. So they were sick on Christmas too. And they live just very close to us. So about five, five o'clock PM on Christmas day, my husband was talking to his sister and finally she's like, you know what? We're just coming over. We all have the same illness anyway. Um, so we're at least just going to be together for a little bit on Christmas. So they popped over. You could tell the kids still weren't a hundred percent. And so everybody's just kind of laying around watching a movie. Um, when all of a sudden my husband's other sister showed up at the door and it's really, so, and my husband's family is from India and in Eastern culture, or at least my experience of his family, when someone is sick, you don't like stay away and, and wait for them to give you the all clear sign. You go to them. When someone is in the hospital, everybody shows up at the hospital. In fact, that was a fun surprise with the birth of my first child. <laughs> and so... It, and, and so we almost couldn't keep them away. And to the point where even extended family came over on Christmas. And I remember my sister-in-law coming to hug me. And I was like, I still have a fever. Like, do we all know this? And in the moment, it, it was a, a little frustrating. And I was not the most gracious host. Looking back on it, you know what? I would rather have people around me and people who are even willing to risk getting sick to demonstrate love and care for us and our family than actually my one girlfriend, she was very sweet and she left chicken noodle soup on our doorstep, which would perhaps be a more Western <laughs> response. And so when I look back on it now, I do look back on it with fondness because there's something about being together. There's something about the support of others and being cared for and being loved. And again, I just feel like we've lost so much of this, you know, even with my neighbors, 
I found out that my neighbors were sick. And so you kind of like now tend to send a text message and be like, is there anything I can do for you? Rather than just what I feel like was a more old fashioned approach where we just show up and we just bring the casserole or the soup. And so I've been trying to work on that. And and rather than checking in or asking if it's a good time, I've been trying to just pop by and be like, hey, we're thinking of you and we made this for you. And so all of this to say, this is what we're up against. And I believe going back to the thing that could change your life this year, if we choose to fight for community, if we choose to push past the discomfort, the, the societal norms that are causing us to be very separate right now, if we choose to push past the pain of past hurts in relationships, I know even this year I was getting to know a new friend and I kind of was putting myself out there and then she just stopped messaging with me and calling and I still to this day don't know what happened. So to take those, those hurt feelings <laughs> and be like, well, we're just going to try again, you know, or I know there's been pain in church. Like if you've experienced, um, if you've been hurt by the church, that can be a very difficult obstacle to overcome. And so today I want to encourage us that there is hope for healing. The Lord is so faithful to help heal our hearts and it is so worth it because if we can risk putting ourselves out there, if we can choose the extra effort and energy, it takes to either start a small group ourselves, to find a church with a small group, to find a local Bible study. I promise you, I promise you it's going to be worth it. I did want to let you know that we are actually doing this book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, as our May book club in my small group. My small group is a membership community for like-minded women to come together. We study the Bible. We do guided prayer sessions together. We get to know each other in our own little community app. We pray for each other. Um, every Saturday morning, in fact, we go live, and I lead guided Bible study or guided prayer. So if you are looking to grow in your faith, and a like-minded community, I want to invite you to check it out. Again, we'll be starting our May book club, our spring book club here in just a couple of weeks. So it's a great time to join. All the information is in the show notes or the description below. Going back to this book, it says reconsidering solitude. And you know, when I first became a Christian, I grew up in a Christian tradition, but when I really took ownership of my faith when I was in college, I had a pastor and he was really into silence and solitude. And so under his kind of mentorship, I went on several silent retreats. And if you've ever been on a silent retreat or if you've gone away, um, I went like to a prayer cabin, um, where there was only an outhouse, by the way. <laughs> and I had to I had to not drink any water before bed <laughs> and then use the outhouse in the morning. Um, but they also gave you, it was really sweet, they gave you like a little basket of like meat and cheese and fruit. And so you kind of just had your little provisions, your little cabin out in some beautiful nature. And I remember going into any of those times of silence and solitude. It would usually be for, you know, 48 hours or so. The first 24 hours was terrible. It sounds, and even now that I have little kids, I think I would probably do a lot better with it, honestly, because I would just sleep the, the first 24 hours. But as a single person going in relatively rested, I would spend the first 24 hours uh, just trying to settle down. 
and to get my mind to be quiet, to not be thinking of all of the tasks and um, responsibilities that I had, and just to be okay being alone, you know, and to then start to find ways to engage the Lord, whether if it was through worship or through scripture, uh, prayer, going for, I, I think I would usually go for like three walks on that first day, just trying to like be present, you know, and settle my mind and my emotions. And, and then usually the second part, I would maybe start to settle in more and enjoy it more and journal a lot and feel like I was perhaps even feeling, uh, hearing from the Lord for that season. However, the interesting thing about this is it, it says in this book, of course, Jesus had times away for solitude. The gospels tell us that he would go off on his own to pray. He even spent 40 days, of course, in the wilderness, right? So Jesus was not afraid to be alone, and it's not that he was never alone. And so this is actually where a lot of the early church or um, some of like the monks and desert fathers would start to model this idea of being separate from the world. Also, it would often be a response to the things in the world that had become, you know, very sinful and perverted that they wanted to be completely removed from that. And so that's where you would see some of that type of spirituality. In fact, this would be even a modern author's recommendations for developing spiritual disciplines. He said, there's four things you should do. Solitude, silence, fasting, and scripture meditation. So again, those are all basically solitary experiences. And so even though these disciplines can be helpful, the author says, this leaves some essential things off the list. What about community? If the goal of discipleship is to become Christ-like, it's important that we spend time with others, learning how to love and be loved and letting our rough edges be sanded away. And that might be one of the biggest things that we're losing right now, especially with such an emphasis on online community, you know, and social media. We don't get to have our rough edges sanded. I feel like, you know, oftentimes we can enter into an echo chamber where we are just, um, you know, kind of echoing the things that we agree with. And then when someone disagrees with us, we get angry, we unfollow, we ghost. And so we're not allowing for that natural process of community to help us grow and become more Christ-like. And it says, as Western individualists, we forget what Jesus's reality was like. Just think, most of his ministry was spent living side by side with his faithful Talmidim, which would have been his traveling companions or his disciples. And they were traveling on foot and camping everywhere. They were constantly together. Most evenings would have been spent sharing a meal with strangers who had generously invited them into their homes, as was the custom with visiting rabbis. So again, this is where we see Jesus's Jewishness coming through. Even when Jesus made a point of getting away from the clamorous crowds, he usually did so in the company of his disciples. Remarkably, Jesus never sent his students out alone, but always in pairs. He knew that this was a critical need to have his haver, his close friends, for studying and becoming more like God with. And again, this is where I just love my husband's Eastern tradition. You know, we've traveled to India twice now, uh, once for a wedding reception uh, when we were first married, and then we actually brought our oldest when she was just a baby. And the proximity that you live in because the nation has an extremely large population and the city even that my my husband grew up in was a city of almost 10 million 
people. And I'll never forget coming into Hyderabad for the first time and the airport is way on the outskirts of town and you come over the first hill and all you see on the horizon is high-rise apartments, just as far as the eye can see. And you see just the physical proximity that everybody lives in. But I mean, and even my husband growing up in what would be considered a middle class or upper, upper middle, middle class family lived in a small 500 square foot apartment where there was one bedroom. And so the physical proximity, I mean, there, there was no such thing as a personal bubble. Like that does not <laughs> exist. But the more I experience it personally, the more I think it's so beautiful. And <clears throat> excuse me, even our family really grew up that way. We grew up in a very small, old turn of the century farmhouse. And we had one living room connected to one tiny kitchen. And we were always in constant proximity to one another. And it's something that I really value. And so again, I feel like these are things that we have to fight for these days. We have to push back, push past even um, sometimes what feels like, you know, invisible boundaries and in our neighbors and the people around us. And and again, sometimes they aren't invisible boundaries. Sometimes they're real boundaries. And people are like, you know what? I don't want you dropping in. I don't want, I don't have time to get together. And so then the, the main thing that I want to encourage us in today, and this is actually what the author uh, kind of lands on at the back of the end of this chapter, is if you don't have a study partner, if you don't have a thriving church community, ask God to send you one. And I come back to this very often, I know, but I really do believe that the Lord wants these things for us. He does not want us to be feeling alone, isolated, uh, like no one cares for us, and not growing in our faith or in our Christ-likeness. He knows that we need each other. He, he longs for us to be the body and the bride. You know, we all have a calling. We all have a responsibility to make disciples and to help advance the gospel and the kingdom of God. How can we make disciples if we're not in proximity with people? <laughs> and how can we understand the next generation if we're not in relationship with them? And so I would encourage you, uh, look, if your church doesn't have small groups, look for a church that does. If your church isn't helping to nurture the relationships between generations, look for a church that is. If you're in a place where you can open up your home, risk starting a Bible study. There are some amazing studies out there. I can put a few in the show notes. One by Priscilla Shire. I really, I mean, her stuff is powerful. It's deep. I would highly recommend it. All you have to do is play the video and then read the discussion questions at the end. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to even know all the answers. We all can actually look up answers on our phone right now. Everybody can be involved in it. But again, that's kind of this concept that would be a modern day way of looking at this concept of having a haver or a haverum is plural. Having these people where you can challenge each other, where you can ask questions, where you can grow in your understanding of the scriptures, but also grow in your relationship with one another and in your community. 
Really quickly, I have to tell you about this beautiful Mother's Day gift option from Trades of Hope. It's a beautiful pink box that has this cute, dainty flower necklace, along with a hand-stitched card from Haiti, plus a meal that will go to underprivileged kids who are in need of proper nutrition. This beautiful pink box will be shipped directly to your mom, or you can have it shipped to your house so you can bring it to her on Mother's Day. Every purchase from Trades of Hope is helping women rise out of poverty and trafficking so that they can earn a fair wage for their family. Find the link in the show notes or the description below. And thank you for your support of this podcast and women around the world when you shop Trades of Hope. So here are a couple of super practical tools if you don't know where to start. Number one, I do have my small group, which is our membership community. There is a small monthly fee, but again, we're doing live guided Bible study and guided prayer every Saturday morning. We're doing the book club here starting in May. And also we have the opportunity to interact with one another, share our prayer requests on the feed, and then also to send one-on-one personal direct messages to one another. And then you can also interact with me that way as well. And so this is the best way if you have questions or have ever wanted to just pick my brain about things within that community, you have the ability to send direct messages. So that's one way right now practically to grow in Christian community. Number two would be D groups, and these are completely free. So I talk a lot about the Bible Recap podcast, and along with that are discipleship groups that meet both online and in homes. And so I'm going to link to that website as well, because this would be a great opportunity. And these groups go deep. And so this definitely is is Haverum. <laughs> this is these are spiritual jogging partners, and um, I think you'll find the rhythm of the groups to to be again very deep and something that will really spur on your growth. And so I'm going to link to that down below as well. And then third, again, I would encourage you, if at all possible, to be in local physical community. So again, if that means that you start a small group, and I know you have to put yourself out there. Also, our devotional. Um, dis- decluttering by faith has been a hit because decluttering is such a practical need for people. And then pairing it with the faith component is a really accessible way, even if they don't, they don't feel like they're very strong in their faith or they're unsure of their faith. It's been a really neat way of bringing the two together with something super practical, but also adding the faith piece to it as well. That has videos that goes along with it. And so again, you can, uh, this can be something for your neighbors, you know, something in, or your family group that you can come together around again, kind of a neutral topic, but also then grow in your faith together as well. So if you're in a position to invite people into your home, oh my goodness, there's nothing better. If that's not you quite right now, then I would encourage you just Google in your, in your local community, look for churches that have small groups. And even if you're not ready to be part of that church, oftentimes you can still participate in the small group community. And again, have that opportunity to connect with others and to grow in, in person, physical relationships and get that awesome hormone release and exchange. And as I said at the beginning, being in physical relationships, it not only is going to help our emotional health and our overall sense of well-being, it actually helps your physical health. Because when we're alone, we're releasing stress hormones because it's it's like a, a physiological safe uh, mechanism, safekeeping mechanism, to, because you're 
more susceptible to harm when you're alone, right? And so there's this natural physiological response that happens. When we're in community, the opposite happens. The feel-good hormones are released, and it actually helps us to be more resilient to any um, disease or any um, physical unhealth that would come our way. So have I made my case? (laughs) Have I convinced you? If you do nothing else this year, nothing else, I'm even okay if you don't read your Bible. If you find a way to put yourself out there, grow in community and fight for it and make this a priority. But but read your Bible with, with the people, okay? <laughs> so Father, I thank you so much that Lord, you love us so much and you care. You care that we have close friendships. You care that we have others to share our lives with, to share our joys with, to share our pain with and our struggles. Father, I pray right now for each one of us, Lord, that you would send a haver, a spiritual jogging partner, Lord, a person that we can study your word with, we can challenge each other, we can pray for one another, we can grow, and mostly we can do life together. Lord, bring us into small groups. Lord, bring us into thriving church communities. Lord God, help us to interact with neighbors who share our faith and where we can strengthen one another. Lord God, please bring people into our close physical proximity. And Lord, help us to put ourselves out there. I just pray for any hurts that we are still carrying, Lord, from past pain in friendship relationships, family relationships, church experiences, Lord God. Oh Lord, would you bring healing? Would you bring peace? Would you help us to forgive? Lord, that we would move forward in strength, Lord, in confidence, without fear of being hurt or let down again. Father, I just pray right now for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit, that we would be strengthened, we would be led, we would be inspired, Lord God, and we would be filled with courage, Lord. Father, that we would be your disciples and we would disciple others. Lord, that we would advance your gospel, we would bring salvation to the multitudes, Lord God, and we would shine your light brightly. So I bless each one of us now, in Jesus' name, amen.